You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. Welcome back to... Episode 7 of Season 3 for United States of Women, New Jersey. Jersey. I'm really excited about this particular episode, Jessica. So, today's episode is about somebody who is... She was the first person on the list. Like, when you look up famous New Jersey women or important historical New Jersey women, like, she comes up real close to the top of the list. But... For those of you who uh, aren't used, to, aren't familiar with this podcast, this is Geekalate Media's his, women's history podcast, mm-hmm. where Jessica, the lovely Jessica, Hello. and I, Elizabeth, walk you through each season talking about a different state, mm-hmm. doing it based off of when they were admitted to the Union. Yep. So season three, New Jersey, third mm-hmm. state. And we talk about eight women who, while you may not know them, mm-hmm. you know their accomplishments. Yes. So, Jessica, today's episode is on the baby doctor herself, mm-hmm. Virginia Apgar. Apgar. And I think we'll, we'll get into the Apgar test, but the Apgar's test is actually not just her last name. It is, in fact, an acronym for the test itself like that's serious <laughs> skill like that is that is some serious serious skill to make that happen <laughs> that's like something you think of like while you're drinking wine with your girlfriends if you're making this huge <laughs> medical discovery and you're like you gotta try to get this yeah. to be the initials of your last name so that your name won't be forgotten and it ends up it still ended up being forgotten because they had no idea it was a female that thought of the Apgar test right so. <laughs> right it's ridiculous these people are, these people are insane. Anyway, so Virginia Apgar mm-hmm. was born June seventh, nineteen o nine, in Westfield, New Jersey. Ooh. She was the youngest of three. Mm-hmm. She was the daughter of Helen May and Charles Emery Apgar. So her dad was his actual job was as a business executive, and he was an amateur astronomer. Which, I know we don't tend to talk about the parents too much, but I find it highly entertaining. So, apparently, his amateur radio work, because Mm -hmm. he was an astronomer, so he also did radio work, for whatever reason. I don't know. Astronomy reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Exposed an espionage ring during World War I. Ooh. Right? I'm like, that's just too fascinating not not to at least, like, give a shout out to, because I found it really entertaining. Anyway, so from a very young age, she knew she wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she's our second doctor this season. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to uh, our podcast on Dr. Finkler. Mm-hmm. Dr. Finkler. Estrogen. <laughs> Dr. Estrogen. Um, but this is baby doctor. Maybe doctor. Um, and she kind of decided this because of the three, she had two older brothers 
One died of a childhood illness and the Mm -hmm. other was chronically ill throughout their lives. So she was very focused on that. After graduating college, she attended Mount Holyoke College, where she graduated in 1929 with a major in zoology and minors in physiology and chemistry. You know, the more I watch all those animal shows on Disney Plus, the more I'm like, why did I not get a zoology degree? <laughs> so, okay, but I'm like, I'm like, she knew she wanted to be a doctor, but she got a degree in zoology. I don't know these things. I don't understand. Anyway, she then got accepted to Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons, where she graduated in 1933, fourth in her class. Ooh. Right? She completed her residency at the College of Physicians and Surgeons in 1937. At that point, she would need to go on to do more education to be a surgeon, Mm -hmm. but she was actually discouraged by one of her professors, one of her male professors, into going into surgery because it's one of those, it was not a good guy, but we'll get but there. Not, not a wrong. Bad, not a good guy, but not a bad guy at the same time. And, and so let me let me get through it. Okay. Anyway, he so he basically had come to the conclusion that with all of the other things women have to do in society, they did not have like they didn't have the time and energy to be surgeons. Was what he stated. So instead, he encouraged her to go into the brand new field of anesthesia, which had just been converted from a nursing profession to an MD MD profession. profession. Okay. So he, and he thought that she had the work ethic and the energy that it was really necessary to like expand that field. And he thought that it was going to become a really important field for surgery to become what it was capable of becoming. Like, basically, without anesthesia, we aren't going to be able to do the surgeries we need to be able to do. And so that's where he encouraged her. So it was like this weird, like, he didn't tell her, oh, no, honey, don't be a doctor. He told her, if you're going to be a doctor, do this field as opposed to that field, because this field will be slightly easier. This field will be slightly easier, but still important. Yes. It was well, kind of, so it's like I don't consider that bad, really, at all, because I think he does make a... I mean, I, I don't know Apgar, but if she was a woman that still wanted to do those societal womanly duties that we're, you know, at the time required to do... Yeah. Then, yeah, he was probably right. You're not going to have time to do all those things. Like, you're going to have to choose between your career and your home life. If you're somebody who wants to not have to choose and be able to do both, maybe try a slightly not easier career. Because anesthesiology is not easy. Not easy. But But so... (laughs) Yeah, so it was kind of this weird, like, why are you telling, like, what? Like, your perception that women can't be surgeons is not correct, but good on you for finding her a different route? I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. It's just, uh, anyway. I don't know. I feel like I just, I want to be in the room when he told her that. Like, I want to see how he delivered it. Because if he was like, look, I get it, you want to be a surgeon, but, like, you also told me you want to have, like, five kids. Like, here's... Real talk. Yeah, I was going to say, the articles didn't give quite that impression. It was more just like, you're going to have to have five kids, so... Oh, okay, okay. Then, yeah, if it came across as that, then I'd be like, oh, hell no, dude. She can do whatever she wants. She don't need need no children. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. 
Again, history is. Well, history. did she end up having kids? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. No, she never married or had children. Well, then she could have been a surgeon. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sure. And I, I, so I got it long. This is this is where doing the research is really hard. So because she. She is the one who had the line from women are liberated from the time they leave the womb. So, but Finkler had the same like thought process. Okay. But the actual quote goes to Apgar. So oh, like, okay. and I realized that like reviewing my notes, like oop. a week, like in between the weeks, I'm like, I do all my research before the, the season so I can like get us all planned out. Mm-hmm. And then I go to do this and I'm yeah. like, oh shoot, I associate the yes. wrong. I would, but anyway, so I would also like corner. to take this as an opportunity to say that Elizabeth is going to one day be talked about on a women's history <laughs> podcast, because as she does all these podcasts with us, she is also a really awesome professional lawyer that is very busy. And I don't know how she manages all of this. Sleep's not necessary. That's the thing. Sleep, sleep is, sleep is not necessary. <laughs> but so she, um, and she won't let me help. <laughs> Well, no, it's far more entertaining to watch your reaction. <laughs> okay. I do tell you about the topic. Yes, I do get to do a quick Wikipedia look at the topic five minutes before we start recording. <laughs> okay, that's on me for not getting those to list to you sooner, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> but in any case, so she was encouraged to go into anesthesia. So mm-hmm. she left... I'm going to start referring to Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons as PNS because that seems to be the shorthand for it. Okay, the articles. Cool. So she left PNS to got to say that slowly. <laughs> P and S um, to attend the University of Wisconsin Madison, mm-hmm. which had the first anesthesiologist department in the U.S. Cool. Of the 16 in the program during her term there, which was really only, it was only a six-month program, Mm -hmm. she was the only female. Surprise. Surprise, (laughs) surprise. So she received her certification in 1937, Mm -hmm. and she returned to Mm P&S in 1938 to head the brand new anesthesiology department. So that same, like professor mentor was like yeah no but here you can now head a department (laughs) (laughs) um and she was the first woman to head a specialized department cool yeah because anesthesiology had just been converted from nursing a nursing specialty to an md specialty Mm -hmm. she had a really hard time recruiting new residents into the program and really kind of growing the program yeah they were like, eh, it's a nurse's job. Well, and then with the double whammy, this is right as World War II is like kicking oh. into high gear. Okay. So all of a sudden, now all of the students who would become doctors are off at World War II. Off at World War II. So like driving those ambulances. So she ran. So then she ran into staffing shortages because all the doctors, all the nurses left to go fight in World War II. So yep. now she's like heading a department, and she's like. I don't have anybody. <laughs> like there, there, there's nothing we can do. So those were some really rough years. But the end of World War II mm-hmm. brought renewed interest, both in just the medical field, but in particular in anesthesiology, because mm-hmm. you're dealing with all those war wounds and all those surgeries. Mm-hmm. Apgar's recruiting 
became so successful that her division became a full-blown department. Wow. Separate and apart. Yeah. However, Apgar was overlooked, quote-unquote, to head the department due to lack of research publications. Because she didn't have no time. (laughs) (laughs) She was a little busy. (laughs) So... Or maybe she didn't like to write, man. <laughs> yeah. But she became, in 1949, they, while they did not make her a the department head, mm-hmm. they made her a full-time faculty member. So she became a full-time a full professor. And she was the first female to become a full professor at PNS, P&S <laughs> um, at that time. And she would stay through 1959. During that time, because the quoted reason as to why she was overlooked to head the department was lack of research, she began to start, she started clinical and research work at Sloan Hospital for Women, which was connected to the New York Presbyterian Hospital. She just like didn't do enough research. I'll show you not doing enough research. (laughs) (laughs) This research led to her 1953 introduction of the APGAR test. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a little bit about the APGAR test. The APGAR test is for newborn infants in mm-hmm. the first 24 hours. What Virginia had, what Dr. APGAR had realized was that although between 1930 and 1950, infant mortality rate dramatically decreased, mm-hmm. the rate of deaths in infants in the first 24 hours remained consistent. Mm-hmm. So she discovered that really it was those first 24 hours that really were important. Yeah. Key. Yeah. Because we stopped, babies stopped dying frequently after that 24 hour period, but they mm-hmm. remained to die within that 24 period. So the APGAR test is a five part test and each baby is given a score of zero, one or two mm-hmm. on each of those things. I feel like we should have Lexi on this podcast. We probably should. We should, de- we should definitely have Lexi on this podcast, but I'm going to try. I'm going to make an attempt. And Lexi, if you're listening to this, you can yell at me later. I know. Which, which in reference, our, our friend is a nurse who has is done a, deliveries a few times. Is a neonatal nurse. Yes. yes neonatal. So here's, here is where Virginia Apgar, like, this is... This is what I want. Like, if I am going to make a discovery or make something that's going to become a test, I not only want it to have my name, but I want it to have my name because my name is an acronym for what the test Test actually actually is, is, which is just so insane. Is that genius or is that lucky? I don't know. Okay. So the five categories are appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiration. So I imagine appearance would be like skin tone, like yep. like whether or not they're blue around the lips and stuff like that. So skin color is appearance, mm-hmm. and they get a score of zero if they're blue or pale all over. Yeah, that's not good. They get a score of one if they're blue at the extremities, so like their fingers are blue, mm-hmm. but their body is pink. And they get a score of two if all of their bodies and extremities. So are two pink. is good. Two basically, is good. Is what you're talking. Two is excellent. Pulse is the second rate. Is the second category. If they have no pulse, they get a zero. <laughs> One would think. 
If they have a pulse of less than 100 beats per minute, they get a score of one. And if they have a pulse greater than 100, uh, equal to or greater than 100 beats per minute, they get a two. Mm -hmm. Grimace is the reflex irritability grimace. So basically like whether or not they like scrunched up and getting ready to cry or crying. Yeah. Those kind of, like whether their face muscles flex. If there's no response to stimulation, so if you like poke the baby and the baby doesn't make a face, mm -hmm. they get a zero. If they grimace on suction or aggressive stimulation, like if they just make a face but they don't cry, they get a one. Mm -hmm. And if they cry, they get a two. Okay. So it's basically like you poke the baby in the face and see how they react. <laughs> Ow, what? <laughs> so activity is the fourth, which is just basically muscle reflexes, like yeah. in their extremities. If upon poking, there is no reflex then they get a score of zero. If there's some flexation, like they a slight movement, they get a one. And if their uh, flexed arms and legs resist extension, they get a two. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then finally, it's respiration. Basically, if they're breathing. If yeah. they're not breathing, they get a zero. If it's weak or irregular, they get a one. And if it's strong, robust, if they're crying, they get a two. Yes. Basically, if they're screaming at the top of their lungs, they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> if they're silent, bad. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what? before? So, I feel like this test is going to demonstrate, like, okay, what happened? Like, if a baby is born blue lack of oxygen lack of blood flow something happened basically so i like what before this test were the doctors like yeah, baby's blue <laughs> well i think i think before this test like they presumed like something like oh it'll fix itself okay and now she's like no 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 this is identify something you can possibly fix, fix yeah. if you like i'll do These, cpr for a little bit or something like that well so it's it's done within the first five minutes after birth so yeah. basically the concept of it is like you need to know if that baby is in distress or not mm -hmm. so they get a one they get a zero one or two in each of the categories if their overall score is below seven mm -hmm. then there's some concern and it's repeated till it gets to a seven scores seven and above are normal four to six are fairly low and three and below are regarded as critically low and cause for immediate attention yeah. attention mm -hmm. so basically it's like okay here's a quick test you can do in the first five minutes like here you go before do a quick test. you get to that point yeah. of make a determination yeah, yeah. if this baby's going to need immediate attention needs to be watched or is probably fine mm -hmm. A score, a low score on the one minute mark shows that you need immediate neonatal attention. Uh -huh. Scores, low scores at the five minute mark or later times indicate neurological damage. Mm -hmm. While a score of 10 on the opposite end is uncommon due to the prevalency of babies having blue at their, at, at their extremities, yeah. like immediately upon birth. Anything above a seven is considered pretty good, and a nine is like really excellent. Okay, like they just you, you're not likely to get a ten. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're. So that is the Apgar test, and it is still in use today mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's that easy and that fantastic. Yep. Um, and it helped to substantially drop the infant mortality rate even more mm -hmm. in the years after its introduction. Cool. Right? After she introduces the APGAR test, 
she's like, you know what? F it. I'm done being just a doctor of medicine. Like I have, I have come, I have conquered, I shall leave. Mm -hmm. And so in 1959, she left P and S (laughs) and earned a master's of public health from John Hopkins. Cool. She then from 1959 to 1974 served on the board of March of Dimes. She served as VP of medical affairs Mm -hmm. and she directed research to prevent and treat birth defects. So she basically like came to the March of Dimes and was like, okay, look, birth defects, premature births. Mm -hmm. These are really important. We're going to deal with these now. Yeah. You're going, you're going to focus on this. Mm -hmm. And so they did. Um, (laughs) In 1964, there was a rubella outbreak, Mm -hmm. and she became a massive advocate for universal vaccination and really began to Mm -hmm. push. Yeah. She pushed for the universal vaccination of um, adults and children alike against rubella to prevent mother-to-child transmission of rubella. Because it can cause serious congenital disorders if mother contracts rubella while pregnant. pregnant, yeah. She then, utilizing the APGAR score and all of this research and all of these focuses, Mm -hmm. really brought attention to the issue of premature births, which had not been a thing beforehand. Like, nobody really connected why it mattered if a baby was born early. So she brought significant attention to the issues of premature births Mm -hmm. and the need for extra attention to preemie babies. Yeah. She would eventually publish over 60 scientific articles and numerous shorter essays for newspapers and magazines, Mm -hmm. along with a book entitled, Is My Baby All Right? Basically just like a home care guide of here's when you should be concerned. Here's one not to be concerned. Yep. Yes, something's not quite right, but here's some easy fixes or get yourself to a hospital (laughs) Hospital. now. (laughs) Because she was such a good speaker and lecturer, she actually also had a really easy time and was a significant speaker at the March of Dimes youth conferences about teen pregnancies and congenital disorders Hmm. when these topics were considered taboo. So she would continue to be like, look, we need to talk about these issues. <laughs> like, stop shoving them under the rug. Mm-hmm. These matter. They're important. Yep. I'm going to talk about them. And I'm going to talk about them to the teens who are getting pregnant. <laughs> As stated before, she never married, mm-hmm. never had children, but was very interested in terms of personal life. She loved music. So she played She huh. played the violin. Mm-hmm. On, August 9, on August 7th, 1974... She passed away of kyrososis. Even after her death, she continues to receive posthumous recognition for her contributions and achievements. Mm -hmm. In 1994, she was honored by the U.S. Postal Service with a 20-cent stamp. Mm -hmm. And she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1999. Cool. So that is Virginia Apgar, the baby doctor. The baby doctor. Who would not only give us the AFGAR test, but would make her own name an acronym for that test. I still, I can't get over that. Goals. Life goals. Life goals. 
So uh, citations on Virginia, um, obviously her Wikipedia article and the New Jersey women's ho- women's archives, mm-hmm. as well as uh, the change changing the fate of medicine. They did they have a biography on Virginia Apgar, which was really well done. It's it's fairly short and to the point, but really fantastic. Um, also her encyclopedia article uh, in the Encyclopedia Britannica mm-hmm. has some really good information. Uh, notable women, um, notable American women, the modern period, mm. which is a biographical dictionary by uh, Barbara Sickerman mm. and Carol Green, mm-hmm. as well as the National U.S. National Library of Medicine's Virginia Apgar uh, biographical overview. In terms of the APGAR score, the Wikipedia page on the APGAR score is excellent, as well as the healthychildren.org, which has an article regarding the APGAR score for basically for parents. Like, how do you how do you understand what they're trying to tell you? Ah, you know, kind of kind of critical. But that is all of the citations for today's episode and Virginia APGAR. Jessica, if people want to reach out to you. Like, let's say Lexi wants to yell at us <laughs> for not having her on in this podcast. Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey writes. And you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media and our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts can be found on our website at geekleetmedia.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on whatever podcatcher you use. Mm-hmm. Helps other people find us and spread the word of our awesome podcast network. But until next time, this is the ladies from United States of Women at the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.